Welcome to another edition of the Lakers Locker Room. I'm your co-host, Tejon Graham. Once again, Jason is not with us due to himself being ill. Jason, we wish you a speedy recovery. We hope you get back. Just know that this is nice and warm and waiting for you, brother. But anyways, we like to say the show must go on. So we have another great guest for you guys today. You know, he's a first-year athlete at Nipissing, his third year overall, and he's my new teammate on the men's basketball team. Please welcome to the Lakers Locker Room, Mukhtar Mohamed. Mukhtar, how are you doing today, man? Where are you? Been a long time waiting, man. I've been talking about like, <laughs> when is it gonna happen? Finally, it's about time. Bro, we've talked about it from like time. Like, we've, I don't know how long we talked about you coming on, but I'm glad we yeah. finally made it happen. So, yeah, man. Sure, I'm happy. Thank you. It's long overdue, man. How you been? You been staying safe in Ottawa? Yeah, yeah. You know, like I think it's a tough time for like all athletes. You know, so um, finding ways to like stay active, stay mentally fit, physically fit. Um, is important for all of us. So yeah, I've been in Ottawa just trying to stay with school, trying to stay fit, trying to do any type of home or workout to make me feel like I'm still in that game mode. So yeah, I've been good. Anyways, we're going to get right into it. Um, we touched on it just now, but um, obviously at the time of this recording, you know, it's probably been about, I want to say three, three and a half months since we last practiced. How has this shutdown been different this time around than it was the first time in like April, May, June for you? I think this one, well, at that time, the shutdown happened around, like, I started end of March, beginning of April, right? So at that time, I was kind of at my college waiting on a flight to go back to Ottawa. So it was different in the sense that I wasn't really around my family at the time. So at the time, it was way harder for me to do it. So this time, I feel like um, I have my family around. I feel more comfortable. Um, I'm kind of used to a lockdown since it already previously happened. I know what to expect out of it. So for me, it's kind of like I adapted more to it and I have uh, better habits as far as structure wise, like how to deal with my time. So it's all been an adjustment, but it's like I'm getting more used to it. I feel like even maybe other people could relate to me as well. So, Would you say that's been harder to like motivate yourself? Because obviously the first time, you know, when everything got shut down, we're like, okay, we don't know what to do. Like the gyms are closed. It's the same thing this time. So would you say it's been Easier to motivate yourself or harder to motivate yourself this time around? Uh, I'd say it's about the same. I don't think it's either harder. I don't think it got harder or easier. I feel like it's just as hard as it was before. Um, it is harder in a sense that I just got to keep looking forward to basketball and basketball and basketball, just waiting to hit that court, you know what I mean? But also it makes it easier at the same time when you think about it, just your own self-improvement. Like how you can you get better like as a person, as far as like mentally, physically, like you got to kind of switch the perspective around what this lockdown means. Cause it's all about perspective. Like the people that deal with the lockdown the best have a different perspective than people that deal with it the worst. They look at it as a more of an opportunity instead of something that's kind of like, oh, it's holding me back. It's just like another chance of to learn more about myself. You know, coming into this season, this was going to be your first year with the team and first year with the guys. And then obviously you found out pretty early that there wasn't going to be any season. I usually ask every athlete on this podcast that comes on this podcast the same question. So I'm going to ask you, what was your reaction when you found out there was no season and what were your expectations for the season had there been one? Um, I was pretty disappointed, like most. Uh, I was pretty uh, sad. I was excited to see what how the OUA game <clears throat> compared to the ACAC because that's where I previously played. I wanted to see what the differences were in college and university play. Um, uh, but I also was happy to find out that um, this year would kind of be like development year to see as far as like this would kind of 
let me take an easier path instead of getting like hit with that with that kind of rookies kind of you know punch I guess hit a rookies wall um so figuring out that um we would have just practices actually helped me uh, improve as far as like okay this is what practice looks like at the university level let's see if I could keep up and improve every day fortunately that also changed because of the lockdown so hopefully that gets back to it um but I didn't really have any I don't try to come into seasons as far as expectation wise. Um, I kind of look, I go at it as like, my expectation was just try to give my hardest every day because it's all you can do. Uh, I look at stuff as um, either like you got it or you don't. So I just try to bring it every day the best I can. Um, I know that some days are just going to be off, but if my effort is there, then I know I'm improving. So that's kind of the way I look at it. I know it's been a short time since you've been here, but how has your experience been at Nipissing so far in terms of, you know, me and the coaches, the guys, the facilities, like how all that, like how has it been for you so far? Oh, it's been great. I feel, um, I still, I feel like I still haven't gotten the full experience as far as what uh, Nipissing and North Bay has to offer. Uh, but uh, I still haven't seen like around the campus fully. I've only been to the athletic facility, right? So it's been, I am more excited to see what um, this campus has more to offer. Uh, but I do think that as far as the facilities are nice, they're great. Um, I think the gym looks great. Facilities are great. Coaches are, Coach Corey's been welcoming me. He's been a great coach. Everybody on this team seems like they're, like they're passionate about what they do, which is great as well. Um, just like good vibes all around, you know? So uh, it's, it's, it's always, it's been, it's been a great experience so far. I feel like I made the right decision coming here. Like right, right when I came in my first few practices, I'm like, yeah, I think I made the right decision because this is, I always want to put myself in a situation where I'm kind of outside of my comfort zone as far as players are going to push me. And if I'm not the best player on the team, that means that I, I'm on the right team because there's guys going to be kicking my ass every day. But because of that, I'm improving, right? So um, you also get a bunch of gear here, which is nice for free. Like my college, <laughs> I had to fundraise for gear. So just coaches like here, I got you a t-shirt, like, but um, everyone that comes on the podcast, you know, when I ask this question also, they have different answers. So for you personally, what's it been like for you to adjust to online school? It's kind of self-reliant. You got to just really be, it's like, it kind of develops your independence because you're going to class, like you, you have a certain expectation, like the teacher's going to teach this. I got this on the board. Okay, I'm coming ready. I have something in mind. When you go into online learning, you got to rely on yourself, especially if it's non-synchronized. So it's not like you have a lecture on Zoom. It's like you got to figure out your own PowerPoints and then you got to translate that to a test. So I think people, honestly, I think it's good because if you could do this online, there's like, you, you're you pretty set if you could do it in person because you're actually, it's all self-reliant. Like people are just giving you content and you're just basically learning it yourself without very little help. So if you could do this, I feel like it's, going back to school next year hopefully will be much easier that's the way i look at it for those in your position who went from college to university who are looking to do that next year mm-hmm. just talk a bit about the the difference of like level in terms of like school obviously you know college is a different ball game from university in terms of like the way they teach it like the content just talk a bit about the difference in that transition period for you yeah um i feel like the difference is mainly in even like just straight off the syllabus, like as far as your marks go, like it's a lot more exam heavy. Um, colleges, like I feel more assignments, you know, it's it's a little it's a little bit more light. Um, but even in my last year, we had a lot of like work and experience. So it all, it all really depends on what courses you take. 
because some colleges are really high level in certain uh, fields and really uh, in comparison to universities. So I feel like um, it really depends on what you take. But as for me, I could tell that the course load as far as taking like five courses comparison to five courses in college, the five courses in uni are a lot more, if you don't, it's time management difference, right? You could maybe procrastinate a few assignments in college, you feel me? But in uni, you can't, you can't, you can't lack because that's a bigger assignment and it's worth a lot more. So that's the big difference, like just time management, I feel like. Yeah, just to touch on that, like obviously when you become a student at the university, like time management is everything. Like, you know, when you're from coming from high school and you get straight A's like and all this stuff, like, yeah, it's cool to get straight A's in high school, but like anybody can get straight A's in high school. Try transferring that same, you know, mindset into university, right? Because when I came to university, you know, I come off getting like straight 90s in high school. I'm coming to university thinking, oh, I'm going to get all these great grades. Basketball is going to be great and all this stuff. Man, I came here and I'm like, damn, like this is nowhere near high school, like so much of everything just switches and you just got to adjust on the fly. But I think now that I'm in my second year now, I'm more comfortable and I have an understanding of saying, okay, this is how you do things. This is how you time manage. Like this is how you go about things. So I think for everyone in your position, like once you like go through that, like, the first few months, like you get used to it. Yeah. I just, I think even for me, I wasn't really like a recruited guy out of high school to go to uni. Like that college offer was my really own, only one offer, like the serious offer. So I think, honestly, God kind of gave me that path to where, like, you know, maybe I needed time to develop. Maybe I needed time to mature in those two years. People have different paths, right? It's not going to all end up the same way. Some people go uni straight away. Some people redshirt. Some people go, you know, you feel me, like, college. So it all depends on which path you take. So I felt like taking that college route is nothing to be ashamed of. Like, those two years could really benefit you. I got my diploma out of it. You know what I mean? Now I'm trying to transfer that into a degree, hopefully, in business manage uh, in business administration. So everybody has their own path. I think college really helped me to even make that uh, path to university a lot easier. Anyways, let's switch gears and let's talk a bit about your beginning. So how did you get into playing basketball? Um, basketball, like, especially in, like, as far as school-wise, like, basketball was always a sport you play in recess, you know, like, it's the first, like, all your friends went to, like, when you're younger, all your boys play so you just, it's kind of initially the one thing that you go on the court, you hear the ball bouncing, you start to get into it, right? Um, so my beginnings was obviously just playing in the park. You go on the play structure and you see a ball, you're like, oh, let me, let's see what's that, what, what that's about. So I always started playing off like that, playing with for fun, tried other sports. But basketball always, I don't know, basketball always stuck out to me as something like I was really, I was really passionate about. I started to love it, especially watching basketball games with my uncle and like, when I was eight or nine, I remember vividly watching like Kobe and then play against the Nuggets. And I just remember those times where I'd watch like Melo play as well. So those kind of people watching them all the time, watching the NBA from a young age kind of made me develop into like, oh, this is something, this is, this looks interesting. This looks something like fun I want to do. It was just based off passion. And then I started working and working and working and started to get better at it. Started to see myself improve and I guess is uh, where I end up. So. What do you think have been the biggest lessons you've learned from the basketball's taught you about life? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I had a great coach at Phoenix, um, Shannon Quinn. Um, obviously, know him. Coach Waterman taught a lot about how correlation between basketball and life. And I feel like the biggest one for me was probably self discipline. Um, Self-discipline is really important, I think, and it's playing a huge role into how I kind of live my life right now, especially during a lockdown. Um, 
this is where like you kind of see people either like kind of fall off or kind of like get better. So I think self-discipline as far as um, um, self-discipline as far as like getting up every day and doing the same thing over and over again, but just, you got to like, even though you don't see results initially, just got to keep going. So kind of self self-discipline and perseverance. Like when somebody tells you, nobody has to tell you to do something, even though you're supposed to do it, like you do stuff on your own. So that's, that's where self-discipline comes in. I think it's a really rare trait that most people should have. I think for me personally, it would also have to be respect. You know, my dad was my coach growing up and there's this one thing he always used to do where he would hold a basketball and I tell all the kids, what do you see in a basketball? And, you know, when you're like 10, 11, 12 years old, you know, the kids say, oh, I see the word Wilson or I see the word yeah. Spalding or I see this, the stripes. And then my dad would say, you know what I see? I see family. I see respect, self-discipline. But my dad's favorite was always respect, you know, like respect your coaches, respect your teammates, respect your craft. So I think the probably the biggest thing for me would be respect. And I think it does tie into life because everything you got to do, you have to have that simple respect that any, anybody you meet, any way you network about anything has to have that basis of respect. If you don't have respect, you're not going to get anything done because no one wants to be around someone who can't respect other people, but most importantly, they can't respect themselves. You have to have, I think the most important thing is that you respect yourself before you do anything, because if you don't have that simple respect for yourself, then no one's going to give you that respect back. So for sure. Like, I just think it all plays like there's different lessons that different people learn, obviously. I just think sports is the best kind of like metaphor for like how people like how you're supposed to operate in life, like especially team sports, because life is like it's not individual. It actually operates as a team. You got your family, your friends. You you never could do anything like where we are right now. It, it takes like a network of people. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't be here. It's like people that say, oh, I did this on my own. Like that's that's BS. Realistically, like that's that's not true. Like you had your family, your friends, everybody that's supporting you like lifted you up a little bit more to get to where you are. So those people need to be acknowledged in my opinion. I agree. So fast forward to high school basketball. Like what were some of your best memories playing high school basketball? Uh, Best memories playing high school basketball. I think having a great um, season, like my grade 11 year with Sir Will, which was awesome. We went um, 11 11 and 0 in a a regular season, which was great. Unfortunately, we lost in the playoffs, which was tough, but. Um, having those memories on the road with the guys was really fun. Um, high school basketball, as far as making the all-star teams, as far as in Ottawa, like that was a great accomplishment for me. I was really proud to make the team. Um, I felt honored to make it. Um, so I had, had fun making memories on those teams, but also just playing against people throughout the years, like people that you played through grade nine to grade 12, developing those relationship against those players that you know are good and you have to play against all the time, developing those relationships and then seeing them play in uni as well or playing against you, mm-hmm. so, like at the next level, which is crazy. Just seeing you grow together and seeing you guys, uh, like seeing your rivals push each other, which is to me, which is awesome. Was prep ever an option for you or, or are you just uh, straight, I'm just playing high school basketball and that's it? Yeah, I didn't really look at prep as an option. Honestly, I didn't have any offers after I was, Honestly, if I didn't play college, I think I would have been a student. Like I wouldn't have gone back to basketball. Like right after that year, if I was just a student, I wouldn't have looked back at basketball, honestly. Um, but no, I never looked at prep as an as a option. I, I guess I didn't dive into it as much. I just really was focused on either getting my degree or diploma and I didn't want anything to like derail that as much. Um, I think that was like, my first thing was like, I want to get in as soon as possible. Cause I want to get this, I want to get this part of my life like through as quickly as possible, I guess. Cause 
I don't want to delay my tuition payments and stuff like that. You know what I mean? It's just, it's an annoying process that you have to get through. But once you get through, I feel like I'm, I'm excited to get into that workplace environment to see where uh, my career takes me. Anyway, so when you graduated high school, um, you ended up at Olds College. How did that relationship like come to fruition? Like, how did that, how did that recruitment start for from you? Um, I was um, with Phoenix at the time. Um, an alumni named Mackenzie had a pretty, pretty good friend that was in contact with. Um, his name is Charlie, I believe. He was in contact with the assistant coach of um, of a school out there. And it was just a big thing. I never, it was like something that just came together so fast. You don't even, it went by a blink of an eye. Like coach told me, uh, you know, you got, we got this last minute contact, boom. They're giving you a letter of intent, make sure you sign it, boom, boom, boom. Everything happened, signed really fast. So I, how I got out there was just through an alumni connection really. And um, Charlie did watch me at one of my last tournaments with Phoenix, put in a good word. I'm thankful for him for that. And the coach that brought me in, his name was Zach. He was let go later on during the season. So then I uh, was just left with the head coach who didn't really recruit me. So it took time to build that relationship as well. But that's how I got there. So when you got to Olds College your first year, how was your first year experience playing out West? First year experience playing out West. It was different just based off my lifestyle. Was first year I was living alone. I was away from my family. Uh, I was 18. 19, pretty young. So just as far as living by myself, that was an adjustment in itself. But uh, the game was an adjustment at first, but I started, I think I got a quick grip of it, like pretty fast. Um, I started playing well. I was six man for like the first half of the season. Second half, second semester rolled around, I was starting. Um, I got, I had some pretty good games. Um, and I was, I was, uh, we didn't have a good record. Our team didn't really gel together, which was disappointing. And I felt like I wanted to stay there one more year just to finish my diploma. That was my big thing. I really wanted to get my diploma. So um, that's what I really tried to focus on. But my first year was just kind of getting the rhythm of what a student athlete looks like. So, For those who just who just go to school like away from home, you know, mm -hmm. what are some things you can tell for people who are struggling, you know, being away from home to like how to get through it, right? Because obviously when you are away from home for the first time, it's a big adjustment, right? Like, you know, there's no one telling you what to do. You got to go to class by yourself. You got to wake yourself up. You got to do your own laundry. You got to do all these things. And sometimes people struggle with that. So from your experiences, what are some things that you did that helped you get through being away from home for the first time at only 18 years old? I could tell you some of the things that helped me and also some of the things I should have done. Some of the things I should have done uh, was be prepared. Um, I think it would happen so fast. I didn't have time enough time to prepare on what I need to do. I kind of had to just learn on the fly. So listening to your parents' advice on, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that. Like you need to listen to their advice um, as far as how to prepare to move out and some of the essential skills you need to know. Um, I think having also developing relationships is really important because when you're out there, you're not gonna just you know be by yourself. If you are by yourself, you're gonna deal with some, some mental illness issues. Which, um, which I actually found out the hard way because you get like, when you're out there by yourself, it's, it's really tough. You, when you're isolated, that's where your mind kind of just goes crazy. So I think having people to talk to is really important. Um, I've uh, developed a great relationship with my first year roommates, bunch of soccer players. So um, they're my friends forever. I'll always, um, they're always they're, those guys really mean a lot to me. So 
um, developing relationships, I really think is important. Having somebody to talk to is important. So I learned that through college. Um, so developing relationships and be prepared before you kind of get there, learn some essential skills so you don't have to be as stressed out. I totally agree. And also, I think another thing to add to is also build the proper habits from now. Like, I feel like if you know that you're going to go to college, university away from home, build it from that point. Don't wait to get to university or college and say, you know what, I'm going to flip the switch now. You know, I'm going to start cooking, learn how to cook. I'm going to start learning how to do my own laundry. I'm going to learn how to wake myself up in the morning. Like, I feel like people, like you said, people go to university and think, oh, it's this, you know, it's a great time. It's going to have fun. I'm going to go to school and I'm going to party and do all this stuff. No, you're there to get an education. I think it's important that if people actually like build the proper habits that they can have success in the future. Like it doesn't make sense. Like why would you wait until you get there to actually start doing it? It's like basketball, like, right? Like you, you don't just go to the game and say, you know, I'm gonna start doing all this stuff that I should have done in practice. Like, no, if you're gonna do something, start in practice, right? Start from when no one's watching. Start from when, if you make a mistake that you have the time and you have the, you have the opportunity to learn from it and grow from it, right? Like don't wait until you actually get there to make the, do what you're supposed to do, honestly, but. Cause you see, like, especially when I was out there, you can see the different types of people that go to college, right? There's people like, you'll see on campus, people like drinking on a Tuesday, drinking it. Like, it's just kind of, you have people go to college for different, that's what I realized early. People go to college at different stages. They go like with different goals in mind, different missions in mind. Some people have no real goals coming out of it. So identifying, um, the, the developing relationships, but also identifying the right crowd to hang out with is really important because if you don't have the right environment around you you'll get sucked into that stuff yeah i agree too like i remember my brother was telling me you know make sure that you network like and you're totally right though because when i first got there like i just wanted to go to school and play basketball and that's it i wasn't really trying to talk to nobody i wasn't really trying to you know get to know anybody i was just there to go to school and play basketball but you're totally right though and that's another thing too like for people that are listening i want you guys to know that when you get to university it's really important that you guys learn to network like you got to find a group of people that you can study with, you can get along with, you can talk to, because when you're away from home, like it gets lonely. But if you at least have those group of people that you can work with, get to know, have fun, do all this stuff, and then you're going to be fine. Because trust me, university without no friends and no network, trust me, it's a it's a struggle. So that's that's a, that's probably the, another big thing that I would do, and also get a calendar. Like, I know it sounds cliche, but it's super it's true. Get a, yeah, it's true. It's simple, but it's true. You feel me? Yeah, get, get a calendar. Like, because when you're in university, man, there's so many things that hit you at once. Like, it's so hard to keep track of it. But if you always get a calendar to write it down, you're going to be fine. But uh, anyways, let's, let's switch gears as well. Um, So once you finished Olds College, how did how did Nipissin come about? How did you get in contact with Coach Corey? Um, the Twins and my Phoenix coach... Initially, after my first year, I was looking to go to Nipissing with Coach Chang, actually. That didn't kind of go through as well because I also wanted my diploma and other things got in the way. So after my second year, I got my diploma. I was looking at schools. I had some offers, which was a shock to me. I was like, first time, like, I was like, oh, this is kind of crazy. I had some offers from out west. had some offers from AUS. Um, and I had one from OUA from Coach Corey, um, which um, – which to me was, I think, the perfect scenario for me because I know I was going to get pushed. OUA is the toughest conference. Like, by far, hands down, there's no there's no way putting it, this is the most skilled athletic conference. I've watched the games. I've watched West. 
I've seen the the intensity level you guys play at um, is the most competitive conference as far as uh, skill wise and athleticism, which really caught my eye because I knew I was going to be pushed. I was going to be pushed as far as like as an athlete. And I knew Coach Corey hearing great things from the Twins about the program uh, and uh, how I was going to play with them. But unfortunately, that didn't happen as well because of COVID. Um, that really caught my eye. Um, and Coach Corey just seemed, after talking talking to him on the phone, I just got different vibes from him. I could tell, I don't know, as a player, when you hear stuff from coaches, I could tell it's genuine. Like it's coming from a genuine place. You know what I mean? Some coaches, you could tell in their words. I don't know, something's off. You just got to, you have that instinct. You feel me? So when I heard Coach Corey talk, I was like, this, there's, there's something genuine about this coach. He seems like a guy that I could talk to, somebody that worries about, uh, not only the team future, but my future as an individual. And that really caught my eye. Felt like it was a perfect situation. So that's why I came out here. I can vouch for that when you say that Coach Corey is probably the, obviously outside my dad, Coach Corey is probably the most genuine coach I've ever had in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Like from the moment that I met him, I'm like, this guy is super genuine. And like I said, what made it, what did it for me was when he made my mom feel comfortable. Because my mom was like, you know, every other mom, you know, I don't want my son to go away to school. Like I want him here. But once he was able to take my mom feel comfortable, I'm like, okay, this is, mm-hmm. this guy's a coach for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So I know obviously we haven't played this season, but how many, how many years do you have in Nipissing after this year? I have two more. So in the, in the big picture, what do you hope to accomplish at Nipissing academically and athletically? I hope to firstly, I want to get my uh, degree in ILEAD certificate as well. I want to be able to do a co-op program to get that workplace experience so I can take it to my career. Um, athletically, uh, I really want to, honestly, I want to make the playoffs, man. I haven't, I haven't made the playoffs post-secondary as far as like just really getting a good record and make it to the playoffs. So I'm more like, I just want to have some success, especially doing it in this conference. I think it would mean a lot to me. You know what I mean? It's a tough conference, but I know that that's a goal that I set for myself and I set for us. You know, you, you don't want to ex- just put your goals so low where you just kind of like, it's better to set them high and f- fail than set them low and just kind of get there because you're not pushing yourself, right? So I'd rather set that goal to where, you know, we get in the playoffs and we do some things. So that's, that's my goal in the next two years. I agree too. And honestly, like I've had this, I know it seems far-fetched, but I don't care. Like I've said this from day one, I want to win, I want to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. Like just seeing, um, you know, doing mixtapes, like, you know, when you see people who are at nationals and they win the national championship, not feeling like I've won in high school and it's, it's the best feeling when you win. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and it'd be amazing, like to see a small school, like, you know, people were like, you know, who's Nipissing University? university? Like, wh- where's North Bay? Like, who is this? And then you see us at the biggest stage, like winning. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that'd be better than anything, right? Because when people say, you know, why did you go to small school? Man, listen, why would I go to a big school where people already have their legacies put into place? Why did I go to a small school, make your own legacy and put a school on the map that no one's ever heard of? Yeah. So I think hopefully, because I got three more years after this year, I'm hoping that once once everything gets back to the kick, definitely make the playoffs. But most importantly, win a national championship. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the ultimate goal, right? Every team should have that goal. So. I agree. Like what you've been hearing so far? Make sure to follow us on IG at Lakers Locker Room and subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're at it, where you can find clips of all our episodes and video content associated with the podcast. Part two of the Lakers Locker Room starts now. So anyways, let's switch gears. Um, let's get into um, a serious topic. Um, 
obviously everyone saw last year, you know, what happened with, you know, George Floyd and all the Black Lives Matter protests and all that stuff. You know, I just recently got to know you, but I never actually asked you, mm-hmm. what was your reaction when you saw what happened with George Floyd? Um, uh, it was, it wasn't shock. That's the one thing I'd say. It wasn't shock. I wasn't shocked to see the video. A lot of people might say it was surprising, but it wasn't surprising to me. It was just kind of like, it was more heart-wrenching. It was more like emotional to see a man, you know, kind of cry like that and beg for, beg for like pleading for his life. Also the video footage of him, like in the car before it actually happened, talking about how his mom died before and he didn't want to get killed. It was very disappointing. I did a, I actually did a video presentation on kind of Black Lives Matter for my editing class. And I had to kind of review those police brutalities and stuff like that. And his was one of them that popped up. So seeing that was just even initially was really tough. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's really, it's really disappointing to think um, that some like t- things have changed from, from before till now. It's, it's not, it's changed, but not in a way that we think. It's changed as far as, uh, hiding it under the system we kind of like what 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 we do systematically is we hide racism like under a rug it's like we keep it hidden and then it kind of creeps up in events and people just kind of push it to the side i mean we're not in slavery i get that but it's racism systematic racism happens in healthcare, imprisonment law enforcement you go down all over government uh, government and law enforcement institutions so yeah, I totally agree. And just to touch on what you just said, like I say the same thing all the time. Like people have to come to the uncomfortable reality that racism exists and it's yeah. still prevalent in Canada. You know, you know, Mukta, I think you just turned you just turned 21, right? I'm about to sir. Yeah, you're about to turn 21. So am I, right? Like we're almost 21 years old, and the same systematic oppressions are still there from when our parents were our age, our grandparents, our great grandparents, and that's not okay. Like there's no way from say like just in, you know, in a nutshell, from the 60s, when MLK, Rosa Parks, and Malcolm X were doing their thing to 2021, we're still dealing with the same problems. Like, you would think that as, you know, a human race that we were better than that. But like you said, it's just, it's sad that because we're making the advancements in the world, but we're not making the advancements in the right places. Like, we're making advancements in technology and, like, how to educate people on certain stuff, but we're not actually taking the time to actually address the real issues where systematic oppressions, hate crimes, like, like you know, job, like, you know, job hiring processes. Like, like, we're not taking the time to actually, like, see what the real issue is and how to address it. Yeah. And I just think, like, especially people in this country have a view of racism is not as prevalent as it is in the U.S. And... Up front, like in your eyes, might not be, but underneath, as us as Canadians, we are some passive aggressive people. If yeah. you really think about it, if you yeah. really do this, like we are. So, I even if you read articles, like Canada is one of the highest countries, you know, to um to really to have uh, to have um uh, organized like white supremacy organizations online. So a lot of what Canadians do, it's it's kind of undermined by uh, uh, internet and web access use. And I just think we need to hold uh, our leaders more accountable. Uh, I, I was, I was um, I'm not gonna compare Justin Trudeau to Trump cause that's, that's just ridiculous. You know what right. I mean? Of course yeah. I'm not, but I still hold, I, I don't, I'm not gonna compare those two cause I still hold Justin Trudeau to, and the government to a high standard that 
we can't afford bad apples. One police brutality case, death or not, just injury is way too many. It shouldn't be like, oh, we have this. It's not as bad as what, what this other country has. One is too many. We can't have a couple bad apples in the police department. There should be none. That culture should be eliminated completely. And that that's going to take time to change. That's going to take systematic change to happen, right? So it's not something that is going to change in a year or two. It might. It's going to take decades, right? And that comes with um, government policies changing, and that comes from holding our leaders accountable, right? We can't expect them because they give out a public kind of relation saying Black Lives Matter. To me, me personally, I don't. I, I don't really take that. I, I believe that actions speak louder than words, right? So you saying Black Lives Matter and you having the control to do something about it and you doing nothing about it is two different things. So that's where we have to hold our politicians accountable as well. Yeah, like one of the biggest things that people talk about, you know, is like, it's great to say Black Lives Matter, you do all this stuff, but like, we're not here for symbolic gestures, right? Like recently, like they changed Aunt Jemima's like pro like Harlan, whatever it is, like, yeah. That doesn't that doesn't do anything to help eradicate racism in Canada. That doesn't do anything to help eradicate systematic oppression. That doesn't do anything to help with changing job hiring process so that black black Canadians can have better opportunities to get jobs. Like looking at a stats, you're seeing like black Canadians are 12.5% more likely to be oppressed than like other visible minorities. Like that's mm-hmm. a problem. And yeah. doing all these symbolic gestures like changing Aunt Jemima to Perholing, is it gonna fix it? Yeah. So with that being said, you know. Why do you think it took so long as of last year for people to finally see the stuff that people have been talking about for centuries, you know, the systematic oppression, job hiring process, all these things. And why do you think it took from last year with George Floyd to happen for people to finally see what's been going on? I think there's been plenty of videos out of this, like people, police brutality, police brutality is happening in Ottawa. There's a case of Abdi Abdurrahman Abdi happening who got uh, murdered by police. That video was leaked out. I think the big thing was, I think the protest, in my opinion, the protests happening after were what really caught um, the media as far as like the fires and stuff like that, the reactions, which is, is to me perfectly, perfectly rational. Because what do you expect a people to do when this has been, it's not, it's not like a one-time thing. It's been reoccurring, 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 reoccurring. And at some point, there's, you're going to get an eruption reaction. And then this happens all over the country. So then you kind of get a combined uh, reaction from the Black community. So I feel like that, that overall brought the attention of others like, damn, this is, this is really happening. But it's, it's really happening um, in Canada. Even um, Aboriginal communities, uh, Indigenous communities really have to face with this problem as far as their rights being affected, especially in Canada. Um, it's, it's, uh, if you look at vaccine rollouts, even the perception of vaccines, according to minority, visible minorities, there's been mistreatment to visible minorities and healthcare systems, right? So when you hear about, to me, it was really simple at first. I was like, why doesn't everybody get the vaccine? It's not that, it's not that crazy. You feel me? But if you hear about the, the history that black people have gone through, as far as medical testing, it's genetically, we are more afraid of tests being uh, tests or vaccines being ran out because we're feel like we're going to be lab rats, right? So it's it's really something the medical the medical uh, the uh, medical system has to attack 
being more informed of visible informing visible minorities that like we're not here to use you or exploit you because that is a problem that we have faced before. I think also too, and this may sound weird, but the pandemic honestly played a role in it because when you think about it, everyone was home. Everyone had nothing to do. So when George Floyd happened, this was like the only thing that you could see. So people are like, oh my gosh, like this yeah. actually happened to this man. Like at that time, for I want to say for a good two weeks, nothing else was being talked about other than what happened with George Floyd and Black Lives Matter protests. You're right. Like yeah. you had people going down the streets acting like COVID never, ever happened. So yeah. even though it's, the pandemic has obviously been a troubling time for everybody. I honestly do think that if it wasn't for the pandemic, people have not had the opportunity to finally look in the mirror and say, okay, what am I doing? Like when people make, and this is thing, something I always say too, when people make stereotypes, when people say stuff like, and they don't think there's anything wrong with it. When you see what happened to George Floyd, like for me personally, like, I didn't see George Floyd when I got murdered. I saw myself, I saw yeah. you, I saw my father, I saw yeah. all our black teammates. Like, it's there's more to it than what people think like when you're a black person like there's so many things that you have to take into account right like your representation how you represent yourself your family your race like people don't understand like there's a precedent set in place in society for black people and we always have to be above it like they're always telling us rise above and i feel like at that time people finally see that this is what we're talking about like it's an everlasting mountain like we're trying to climb and it feels like we're never going to get there. And you people finally saw it when George Floyd got murdered last year. Yeah, and just even, I don't know about you, Terry but I know the way I was raised. No parent should tell their children how to act around police, right? Yep. But my mom consistently tells me on every, if you're encountered, this is police, this is the way you react. Don't put your hands on the wheel, show where your hands are. And that shouldn't be an issue, but other kids, other people, they don't know how they have to experience that, right? Even me as a kid growing up, when I see police, like just a police officer walk by, my heart started to beat, like just based off things I've seen, just, you know, in, even in my neighborhood, just things I've seen, videos I've seen, things I've heard from my parents. So just even that perception among the black community for police officers, that relationship is very torn and uh, trust is uh, easily lost and hard earned, right? So that takes a while to, to come back. Um, even just the perception in society of black communities. If you look at the way Capitol Hill was raided by white supremacists of most, that wasn't, they weren't looked at as, uh, you know, terrorists. gangsters, terrorists. They were looked at as people expressing the way they feel. And could but you if, imagine that was black people? Yeah, right. You don't even need to imagine it. Look at the protests that happened before that, right after George Floyd. Oh, he, they're gangsters. They're burning down everything, right? So it's yeah. it's really two different points of view that people that people really saw throughout this year. Yeah, and also th also to add on what you said too. Also, like about education, right? Like in terms of when I grew up, my dad would always push me so hard to be great at school because he he told me from when I was like seven that mm -hmm. listen, being a black man, you already have a strike against you because you're black. Yeah. At seven years old, I didn't understand. I'm like, what do you mean I'm black? And obviously I get it now. But what he yeah. was talking about was, listen, you already have a strike against you because you're black. Don't make your lack of education be another strike. Mm -hmm. And it goes in, like I said, by representation, right? Because the stereotypes, and this is, why, this is something I always say, like, be careful with the stereotypes you give people. Like, sometimes people will see a black person, like, for example, like you and I both have cornrows right now, right? They see a black person with a hoodie with cornrows and go, oh, this guy's a gangbanger, this guy in the streets and all that stuff you don't know who I am until you actually meet me. And this is something that I want people to realize that 
be careful of the stereotypes you give people because there's more to people's story than you think. There's more to that you don't know. So don't ever rush to give a stereotype or say an insensitive comment and think that's okay. Like people really have to be careful of some of the things they say and the way they act towards some people sometimes. I think that's a problem that people need to work on in my opinion, but. Yeah, even in our community, we need to catch the way, oh, you're kind of acting this way, that's not black of you. What, like, what is that? Like, what does that mean? Really, that's not black. Like, that's that's the stuff we imply in our own communities, which is wrong. Because I, I, I'm well-spoken and I'm educated and I have a knowledge of uh, history that means I'm, I'm, I'm not black. Like, what, is, what does that really mean? So the negative stereotypes, being, being uneducated, start talking a certain way, listening a certain type of music, dressing a certain type of way, makes you not black, which is unbelievably, like, unbelievably incorrect. So that's something we need to change as far as towards one another in our community. Right. At the time of this recording, you know, it's Black History Month. And, um, you know, just, just looking at the news recently, you know, I saw something where it's just outside my region, the Durham region, right? I live in Scarborough, so I'm like five minutes away from Durham. So there's this like Black scavenger hunt and basically, or Black History Month scavenger hunt. And basically what it entails is, here are some of the things that they said. You have to talk to a Black co-worker you have to dance to a regular dance hall song and you have to cook an African or Jamaican meal. Sorry, man, I'm laughing, but I'm sorry. Yeah, continue. Like, like, I don't understand like why, and this is something I want people to understand. Like, I don't understand how Black History Month turns into a joke. Like how, how is that promoting Black History Month by saying, you know, cook a Caribbean or African meal or talk to a Black employee? Like what is, why does it have to take Black History Month for you to talk to a Black employee? I'm just sorry. I'm laughing because I just found it how funny, like how people come up with these ideas. Like, like how do you how do you even think that through? It's my ignorance. It's ignorance. Yeah, to me, all you what you're doing right now with your program, learning about a different uh, impactful black um, uh, figure, what you're doing with uh, with your with your time club. Time to educate. Yeah, time to educate. Yeah, time yeah. to educate. I just uh, heard about the track athlete. I'm sorry, I forgot his name. But even who is it? Um, you did one. Oh, oh, Ray, oh, yeah, Raymond Gray Lewis. Raymond Gray Lewis. Okay, so yeah, I learned. Ray, yeah. Yeah. So I learned about him. Just even me, I'm learning stuff about people that I, I may not have known. You know what I mean? So Black History Month just entails you understanding, learning more about Black history. It's simple as that. You don't have to add anything else to it. What they what that was doing was yeah, was ignorance. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. You know, also too is like, um, I think it's a point, we talked about this earlier on the pod, but like, it's also important to highlight that racism exists in Canada. You know, getting to know at the beginning of our relationship, you know, I heard that um, you dealt with some like racism stuff from like, and like old college in the West, Western Canada. Can you just talk, for those who don't know, can you just talk a bit about how racism is also prevalent in Western Canada? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I kind of look, I don't know. I kind of look at Alberta like Texas kind of, like really like, kind of farmer's land, oil, I don't know, just like the Texas of Canada. I don't know, maybe that might hurt people's feelings. But my experience there was kind of, uh, more so my second year was pretty tough. Um, just like racism, not like I said, not up front, but just kind of uh, underneath whispers, you know, kind of stuff when you walk by, you hear something under their mouth, like what is he doing here type of stuff. Like that type of stuff is just kind of annoying. And to be honest, it kind of kills it kind of kills your vibe to why you're there. I started questioning why I'm there. What am I, like, what am I doing here? Why did I come back if this is the stuff I'm dealing with? Like, if a community acts like that towards you, you don't really want to play for that team anymore. So 
they didn't have any system as far as to provide black or indigenous athletes with any racism encountered. So I was kind of just doing it on my own. I was just kind of figuring out how to balance this. There's a lot of times where I wanted to fight back, but I couldn't because I'm a student athlete. And how would that look if I was the one to fight? Who would get set up initially? So I really had to think every decision through. It was like every, every decision I was going through, if I heard something, my reaction and how I'd react would, would actually deter my future. It was actually like every, I felt like every decision I make was like, is this the one that's going to mess up my future today? So it was really a stressful time. Yeah. So I hear this question a lot, but I never actually thought about it for you personally. What does it mean to be a black athlete? For me personally, um, to be a black, black athlete means like to have pride in what I do. It means to um, share, share my craft, share what I do, uh, share my lessons I've learned to the younger generation, if I have the chance to. It means give lessons and things that I've learned to people before me, and also people listen to people those who are ahead of me, take knowledge from them, and understand what they've gone through and help out people before me, uh, people that are coming up. So just being a black athlete means, um, you know developing relationships within my community, helping those that are coming uh, after me and also learning from those that have been in the game before. I think also too, it's just being the definition of excellence, right? In different facets, right? Being excellent in school, the way you present yourself, the way you treat others. I think there's so, and this is the thing too, once again, about being black, right? There's just so many layers of it that people don't understand. Like when you go on the street and you're a black person, like there's so many things you have to take into account. Like in terms of how you dress, how you talk, like how you act, like just your whole, like your whole vibe. Like, cause sometimes, like you said, people will say, you know, um, you know, what's this guy doing here, right? It's the same thing. So there's just so much that goes with, especially being a black athlete, right? It's just, have, it's just basically representation is the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, also too, at this point, you know, I remember like Shannon said in the first episode of season two is that this is an opportunity for a turning point. You know, we both dealt with our institutions, you know, putting out statements that were very vague and not really addressing the point. So I, you're, in, in your opinion, how can we move beyond this? Like, what are some things we can do to move forward and progress? I think what you're doing right now with your club is great as far as some turning points and steps to improve um, systemic racism in institutions, especially in universities and colleges. I think the big thing we should not only do is not only inform, but I think we should really um, understand like the regulation and rules that like are historic and roots of universities because there are a lot of racism involved in university like uh, rules and kind of code of like conduct and ethics that aren't even noticed by uh, students so I think first of all like getting to the root of the problem which is the history of these universities and talking reading through like how how it was founded, how it came up. And if there's any racism involved in those kind of acts of foundation, I think we should really like look at eliminating that and discussing how we could progressively move forward. So I think systematic change comes from like, we need to involve systematic change by kind of asking questions towards our uh, powerful uh, kind of figures in, in, in universities. So like the president of the university, deans, stuff like that, talking to them about change as far as uh, uh, rules and regulations and like the founding kind of uh, constitution of that university because there's a lot of racism hidden in that originally. So the first step of moving forward is to get rid of that history. 
right? So that's what I feel like is a big thing. Yeah, for me personally, it's two things. The first thing is at this point, we have to, like you said, you said at the beginning, we got to start holding these people accountable. Like if it's like the police, if it's like the media for not, you know, portraying that there's actually racist racism still in Canada. Like I think at this point, we have to really start to hold these people accountable at these institutions um, and jobs when it comes to job hiring process, all of these different facets that like we have to start holding these people accountable. So listen, yes, this has been like this for a time, but this is now opportunity for a turning point. This is now an opportunity for us to, okay, we see the problem and now we're going to deal with it. We're going to actually offer solutions to make it better. And I think by just holding people's feet to the fire is really going to help to actually put those policies in the play that should have been there from the beginning. I think people have gotten too comfortable with the way the world is. And sometimes people think that their voice doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I think now with starting with our generation that people finally see that your voice does matter. Mm-hmm. Like there is strength in numbers. And I feel like if people actually can come together and start holding these people accountable, that things will get done. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing too is empowering the younger generation. Like through, through the evolution, like there's always, things are getting better. So the way that people did it back then in the 60s with like MLK and all that stuff, now we have with people of the 2000s, 2010s with like the Black Lives Matter protests and social media has been a big factor in terms of promoting positive messages in the community. I think it's important that we also do the same thing by empowering the next generation because the stuff that we know we can teach them and they might have some ideas that we never thought of that can make it so much better and just make the whole message come so much more powerful. So I think if we actually all take the opportunity to actually like impact our local communities, our high schools, and just our brothers, our sisters, we actually take the time to actually educate and say, listen, this is the stuff that happens in the world. I'm going to give you the know-how about what's going on, but hopefully I give you the keys to find solutions for one day. Because you might know stuff or you might have ideas that I never thought about that can actually help eradicate the problem more efficiently. Yeah. So, so I think by just empowering the younger generation, I think that's going to be a big key. And like I said before, holding institutions and all these people accountable who have power. Yeah, for sure. Anyways, Mukhtar, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. So we're getting down to a quick hitter segment. So this is the part of the podcast where usually me and Jason, but since Jason's not here, I asked the question and they have to answer as fast as possible. So um, first question, who's your favorite artist? Favorite artist, man. Oh, this is tough. This is a quick hitter, bro. I got to think about it, my favorite artist off rip. I'm going to say Pop Swamp. Okay. Artist or song on repeat? Ah, uh, shoot. Artist or song on repeat? I'm gonna just say Pop Smoke or Chavez. Like I could, I could listen to those as a repeat for a while. All-time favorite album? All-time favorite album? Mm, All Eyes on Me. Okay. All-time favorite sports movie? Oh, Coach Carter. Yeah. I love Coach Carter, but. I just love Rebound with uh, Martin Lawrence and Wendy Carl Robinson. I'm just something yeah. about, <laughs> there's just something about that S-M-E-L-T-E-R-S. It's just something about the smelters. It's just something I'll probably about. I'll probably say that or remember the Titans. That was, Ooh. that was the two good ones. Yep. And also Hoosiers was a good movie too. <laughs> I saw that in Grady. It's a pretty good one too. If you could spend the day with someone dead or alive, who would it be? I'm gonna say Muhammad Ali. I like that answer. Okay, this is a personal question for me. So, Mukhtar, do you like pineapple on your pizza? Oh my God, no, I don't. Uh, I don't, I don't like pineapple on my pizza. I don't put it on there. I don't mess around. I usually put like chicken, ground beef, some onions maybe, but I don't mess around with that pineapple, bro. Uh, I might I might have to try it again. Maybe I might switch my mind, but I haven't tried pineapple on my pizza for a minute, so I might have to try it again. 
I'm gonna try it again for you, Tejan. All right, I'll get back all to right. you. When we get back up there, fam, we're ordering pizza, pizza together. We're gonna eat it, watch a game, and I'm putting pineapple on the pizza. Okay. Okay. This is also a personal question for me: milk before cereal or cereal before milk? Oh, cereal before milk. That's obvious. <laughs> if somebody else says milk before cereal, they're crazy. You gotta check them out. I guess I'm crazy then. Oh my! Put milk before cereal. <laughs> You're fried, bro. Oh my god. You're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. Not only do I put milk before cereal, I also warm it up in the microwave. Nah, you, <laughs> you're bugging. You're bugging, bro. You're awesome. You warm up your milk. Oh my god, Tisha. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last show you binge watched. Last show I binge watched. Uh, Bernie Mac. The Bernie Mac show. LeBron or Jordan? I'm gonna go LeBron, man. What's one skill you wish you were good at? One skill I wish I was good at? Honestly, I wish I was just like, I had a 40 inch vert, like just bouncy, like just naturally, like DeAndre. Like I wish I just had genes, like, you know, like just, like just, I was born in a genetic family just full of athletes, but like me, I wasn't born like that, but hopefully I could build it up this summer, but I wish like, you know, those just natural born, like crazy athletes. I just kind of wish yeah. I had that athleticism. But, yeah. I've always said the same answer. I wish I could sing. Wish you could sing? I wish I could sing. Yeah, that's a good one too. Like, you know, the singers, you know, they get all the they get all the women too. <laughs> okay. Best point guard in the league. Best point guard in the league. I'm not there's no Steph should be, especially with his season he's having this year, there should be Damian Lillard's great too, but Steph is actually having like a low key MVP season. Okay, this is a interesting one. So obviously this question people have a lot of different answers, but all time starting five. All time starting five. These are good questions, Tejan. Like I'm actually impressed. You're putting it on the spot. Uh I'ma put magic at the point. I'ma put Kobe at the two. Yeah, I can put him at small forward, right? Bro? Yeah. He's a small forward, yeah. Yeah, okay. I thought you were looking, you gave me a funny face. I'm like, was I supposed to put him at guard? I was like, I was confused. No, because keep going. I'll tell you after. Okay, okay. Okay, yeah, I'm putting at the four, I'm putting Tim Duncan. And who's at the center? five, I'm putting, at the five, I'm putting, ooh, I'll put a Kim Olajuwon. <laughs> yeah, we're cutting this, cutting, 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 cutting. Right, you put, you're you gonna did, put that? You did the same, okay, I'll tell you my starting five first, and I'll tell you my problem. You did the same as yours? I did the same as No, group? so my top five is Magic, Jordan, LeBron, Kareem, Shaq. That's my top five. But the problem I have is, Jason did the same thing. Where is Michael Jordan in your starting five? And I'm the biggest Kobe fan. Where is Michael Jordan? I don't know. I didn't watch Michael Jordan, bro. I, I watched Kobe. Whatever. I know he was the best. I understand. Okay. If you want to replace it, you replace it. But what I've seen with my own two eyes, I'm basing players I've seen with my own two, two eyes. I'm putting Kobe. But greatest of all time, you replace Jordan. I'll switch my answer. Jordan will replace Kobe. Okay. And right. for the record, I'm the biggest Kobe fan. So, right. but, okay. you put You put milk in before you cereal, bro. Whatever. Yeah. And I'm unapologetic about it. Okay. So, okay. So, say we're in an alternate universe, right? Same timeline, different month time, okay? If you weren't playing basketball, what would you be doing? What would I be doing? Bro, I'll... Bro, if I wasn't playing basketball, I'll be working at McDonald's. <laughs> I don't know. I'll be, I don't know what I'd do. <laughs> I don't know what I'd do. That's the thing that's crazy. I think I'd just be a university student. I'd try to work into business. I think, honestly, I would be the same person as I am right now, 
like what I'm doing right now, just remove basketball out of the equation. Final question, and this is every person I've asked has struggled with this question. If you could make a soundtrack of your life, what three songs are you using? That's tough. That is tough. Holy moly. Oh my God, bro. Okay, let me look at my phone real quick. I'll put some type of Whitney Houston there, for sure. That's my first one, because Whitney Houston is number one to me. I'll put like Saving All My Love by Whitney Houston to start off. Okay. I'll put, then I'll put some like rap. So maybe, uh, I'll put, I'll put some, I'll put some, put some Migos in there. Okay. I might put, I might put Big on Big. Okay. And then to end it, I'll put, I'll end it with some Pop Smoke. I'll put, I'll put, I'll put Yeah, Yeah by Pop Smoke. Okay. Those are my two tracks. It was kind of random, but. Okay. Tough question, answered- you put me on the spot. If you gave me like 10 minutes, I would have given you a proper answer. <laughs> I ask this question all the time, so I'll just tell you my answer. So the first one is definitely Grinding All My Life by Nixie Hustle. That's a good one. Started From the Bottom by Drake. Oh my God. My Moment, which is by DJ Drama featuring Beak Mill, 2 Chains, and Jeremiah. Oh, I said Jeremiah. And I had, I'm at a fourth song, and this is this is someone, this is a song that I think people would usually know. Remember the name by Fort Minor. I'm gonna search that up tonight. I don't know if I remember it. No, it's like, remember, it's a 10% skill, 20% skill, 15%. Okay, okay, okay. With 5% pleasure and 100% reason to remember the name of that song. Okay, I got you. That's like, that's not like that warm-up track, I think. Yep. Anyway, that's all the time we have. So, Mantar, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed having this conversation with you. Thank you for having me, man. We definitely got to do this again. For sure, man. Whenever you hit me up, I got you. Have fun. All right, that's a wrap on another edition of the Lakers Locker Room. You can catch the videos interview on YouTube and listen to the full interview on all podcast streaming platforms. Peace.